Well, good evening once again, Faith Fellowship Church. It is a good thing to be in the house of God, together with believers and those who have a reason to celebrate the season. Thanks for being with us tonight. I promise not to keep us too long. Let's pray and we will begin. Father, we thank you for your presence this evening. We thank you that your presence has been here throughout all time and eternity. From beginning, even from before time. Father, we thank you that you reached into our time by sending your Son. And that you did so willingly. And that he came willingly. And that he was born. And that he set aside his glory. And that he became like us. That he lived like us. And that he died and rose again. Father, we thank you that we can celebrate this season at the beginning of this event, this coming into our history as You brought us redemption in Jesus Christ. We thank You for Your presence tonight. In His name, Amen. If you were going to launch a mission to change the world, to make the world a better place, what sort of people would you invite to be on your team? What sort of people would you recruit if you were going to build a dream team, if you were going to put together a team of individuals, a team of people that were going to launch a mission to change the world and make the world a better place. I have a feeling that most of us would think, well, man, we, we, we're going to need some well-known people. We're going to need some famous people. Don't we need some, some famous people? People with a platform. People that can let other people know that are also influential that we got something going on. People like, oh, I don't know, people like Taylor Swift. Oh my, and all of her Swifties. Taylor Swift pops up everywhere, doesn't she? Did you know that the average attendance for a Taylor Swift concert through the U.S. leg of her tour has grossed over, the average income has grossed over 13 million in ticket sales per night. 72,000 spectators per concert. The tour has a total of 146 dates on multiple continents. Do the math. That's $1,898,000,000. 10,512,000 people. Her persona has wide-reaching impacts, too. She even made it into my sermon tonight. I might be coming a Swifty. I, I don't know. I, I hope not. And she's got good music, but I'm a little old to be a Swifty. Taylor Swift's attendance at the Kansas City Chiefs games has caused an upward economic trend. Travis Kelsey, the tight end for Kansas City Chiefs, whom she is dating, saw a nearly 400% increase in the sales of his jersey. Swift's influence has reached worldwide as well. Not only is she a very talented musician, she also sets fashion trends. Now, I don't know if anyone noticed, but apparently she wore a pair of 550s to the Chiefs game. What? Not 550s. Say it isn't so, Jim. Now, how many people know what 550s are? Oh, good. That sounds like Levi's. Yeah, I would have said Levi's too. I'm glad I'm in good company. Now, 550s are sneakers from New Balance. They are shoes. They're just tennis shoes. After Swift wore the shoes, and, and my, my oldest granddaughter says, they're not even trendy. But after she wore them, 
New Battle sold an increase in sales and traffic around this model. Revenue for the 550 went up 25% in that first week. Unit sales went up 22%. Site traffic to the New Balance 550 site went up by 30%. Internet searches went up for that shoe by 73%. And it's not just shoes. The operator of Bangor, Maine's White Lobster, it's a vintage apparel store, says that he is struggling to even keep jerseys on the shelf. He can't get them out of the box fast enough and tagged and on the shelf before they are already sold. We're going to need some influencers like that, aren't we? We're going to need some celebrities. We're going to need some, some movie stars, some famous people. Perhaps even Mr. Wonderful himself, Kevin O'Leary, if you're a Shark Tank fan. People with lots of influence. That's how we tend to think, isn't it? And if we're going to launch a mission to change the world, those are the sorts of people that we would recruit. But you know who doesn't think like that? God. God doesn't think like that at all. And when God launched His mission to change the world, He passed over all of the extraordinary people. Oh yeah, look, there were ordinary people in the first century too. There were rich people, well-known people, famous people, royal people, strong people, wise people. You'll learn about them in world history class. I never paid attention. Whoever thought you would need to know that information? And God passed over all of them. And He picked the incredibly ordinary people. Humble people. So if there's ever been a time in your life when you thought, I'm not extraordinary. I'm just regular. And I don't mean I eat my prunes every night. I'm just a regular, ordinary kind of guy. I'm nobody special. And you should hear the Gospel as saying, good, those are exactly the kind of people that God chose to change the world. Or you may even think to yourself, I wish I was normal. I wish I was ordinary. I wish I was average. I'm below average. I'm less than ordinary. I'm not normal. I'm AB normal. That's abnormal. God says, that's even better. Those are the kind of people that God chose to change the world. This is, a particular, this is particularly the way that Luke tells his Gospel account, starting with Jesus' birth. He wants us to understand that this is the way that God is going to change the world. Paul says the same thing when he writes to the Corinthian believers in his first letter to them. He says, take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and best among you. Not many influential. Not many high society families. Paul really knew how to make friends, didn't he? And compliment people. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? Chose those nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. Still, we have a tendency not to embrace this reality. We have a tendency to think that God needs powerful people, that He needs famous people, that He needs rich people. God needs people that are willing to bow down to Him and to respect Him. God doesn't need people who bow down to those who are in the world and respect them. God wants humble people. He wants faithful people. He wants people to love and fear Him. That's who God wants. He doesn't actually need any of us, but that's who He wants. God wants normal, ordinary people, even less than normal and ordinary people. Average, humble people who love Him and who will be faithful to Him. 
And this is what the Gospel says to us that is so incredibly surprising. In fact, Luke frames his Gospel account this way, the whole Gospel. And if you want to see the contrast yourself, then go and read Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus and compare it with Luke's account. And notice the things that Matthew includes versus the things that Luke includes. You will see that Luke is particularly choosing details to frame the story in this way. He doesn't say anything about the star that Matthew mentions. He doesn't say anything about the Magi from the East coming and bringing their wealth to this King Jesus. He doesn't say anything about that. Instead, he tells us a story about a manger and about shepherds. He doesn't begin by talking about Bethlehem. He begins by talking about Nazareth, a little rinky-dink town up in Galilee. He wants us to understand that this is where the people that God chose to be the parents of the Messiah came from. This is where they were from. And only later did they wind up in Bethlehem. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Luke begins this part of the story by saying this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. But that's interesting, because again, if you read Matthew's account, Matthew doesn't say anything about this. In fact, we might look at it and say, why is Luke mentioning Caesar in a story about the true king of the world, the true king of kings? But I think this is particularly why Luke is mentioning it. So that we see a contrast between Jesus and Caesar. Between the kingdom of God. The kingdom that's breaking into our world. And the kingdoms of the world. The earthly kingdoms. And the way that the kings of the world think about things. And look at things. And consider things. And evaluate things. Versus the way that God looks at things. And thinks about things. And considers things. And evaluates things. It helps me to reflect and think. Do I think about the ways things more the way Caesar does or more like Jesus does? Am I looking at the world through the lens of the kingdoms of this world? Or am I looking at the world through the lens of the kingdom of heaven? You see, Caesar thought he was the goat. right, The greatest of all times. But clearly he had never met Muhammad Ali. They got the old to know who that was. Tom Brady, a little more recent for those who were younger, right? He didn't know who they were. In fact, Caesar Augustus believed himself to be a son of God. The Roman Senate honored him with the title Augustus, which means reverend or the exalted, in recognition of his efforts to restore order after the Roman Civil War. Caesar Augustus brought peace and prosperity to the Roman Empire. But all that power went to his head and he allowed himself to be worshipped as a living God. They even marked his birthday as the beginning of the good tidings. The Greek word translated there for him is the same word that we translate as gospel. But his birth is not the beginning of the good news, is it? That's not the gospel. The real gospel is the birth of Jesus of Nazareth who was born in Bethlehem. That's the beginning of good tidings. That's the beginning of the good news. Caesar Augustus is not the goat, the greatest of all times. He's not the king of kings or the lord of lords. The true king is this little baby you might not even know was born into the world if it wasn't for what Luke 
describes here. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now we have all kinds of ways of picturing this journey, don't we? We might picture Joseph and Mary riding alone against the elements. It's nighttime. It's cold. It's just them and a donkey. We might picture all sorts of things, but don't go beyond what the text says. Just kind of listen to what the text is describing. It doesn't necessarily say that they were by themselves. It doesn't say they weren't. It doesn't necessarily say that Jesus was born the very night that they arrived in Bethlehem. In fact, in verse 6, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Probably a better translation. No guest room available for them. We don't know really how long they had been there before she gave birth or how long they intended to stay there or exactly what sort of dwelling that they were in. Some translations say an inn. There was no room for them in the inn. But probably, again, I think a better translation is a guest room. There was no guest room for them. Regardless of where they were staying, with strangers or with relatives, there wasn't room in the guest room for them, so they were in the downstairs portion of the house, which is, by the way, where all the animals came inside the house at night. Archaeologists tell us the homes of poor families were small and plain. They were built of rough stone or mud brick walls and roofs of woven branches covered with clay. Living spaces were used for household work, cooking and weaving. At night, the family's domestic animals were housed in the lower level. And there were food troughs for them. And baby Jesus was laid in one of those feeding troughs because there was no room for them upstairs in the guest room and nowhere else, quite frankly, to put him. Now, it was not normal for them to put newborn babies in mangers. You're not going to go around town and say, where are you keeping all the hay? I'm looking for your newborn baby. This was not normal. In fact, the angel points out to the shepherds later in the story, oh, by the way, he'll be the one in the manger. In the manger? Yeah, that's where he'll be. But on the other hand, it was incredibly ordinary. In an incredibly ordinary kind of situation. Because what Luke is telling us over and over and over again is that this account is an account of people who were very, very ordinary, very, very poor, and very, very common. Just as there were thousands of common, common ordinary people throughout Israel at that time, there are thousands of common ordinary people all over the world today. And Jesus came as one of them. And His family was one of them. Nothing like Augustus, right? Nothing like Caesar. This was not a palace. There was no throne. There was no tribute. There was nothing ornate about this place at all. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Now, if you're reading the Christmas story in Luke and in Matthew, there have been three different occasions when an angel has appeared to someone to Zechariah, the humble priest, who had been praying for a child of his own. To Joseph, to tell him to take Mary as his wife, even though she was already pregnant. And to Mary, to tell her that she would bear God's Son. 
And now to these shepherds, an angel has shown up and the reaction is always the same. They're terrified, of course. They're in fear. They're overwhelmed. And then they're told, don't be afraid by the angel. But notice again, look at the people that God is choosing to show Himself to, to appear to, to communicate with, to send as His messengers to a humble priest, to a carpenter, to a teenage girl, and now these shepherds. It wasn't the, the Sanhedrin. It wasn't the Jewish high council. Not the kings. Not the royalty. Not the powerful people. Not the rich people. Not the people that others respected. Not to those of high social standing. The people you might expect to choose. This is not who God was recruiting. And Jesus didn't do that either. If you remember when He began His ministry with the Sermon on the Mount, to whom did He preach? He went to the poor. He went to the needy. He went to the outcast. And He offered the kingdom of God to them first. God says, I want these people. Ordinary people. These are the people whom He, whom, uh, he shows up to. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good tidings that will cause great joy for all the people. Fear not. Isn't that beautiful? These are the people who feared the Lord. Zechariah, Joseph, Mary, the shepherds. And he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Why? Because I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, the Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and laying in a manger. This is the good news. This is the good news. Caesar Augustus and his birth is not the good news. This is the good news. This is the news that is bursting out of heaven. This is the news that the angels can't hold back for all the people. Not the birth of Augustus, but the birth of Jesus because He is the Christ. What does Christ mean? Christ means God's anointed one. He is the Lord, the Savior. He is the one who is going to save His people from their sins. It's Him. And you're not going to find Him in a palace. You're going to find Him laying in a food trough, in a manger. In fact, the angel says that this is the sign for you. The Magi, they had their star to follow. But the shepherds, it is that this baby is going to be lying in a feeding trough. And isn't that very much the opposite of what you would expect? Here's how you know you found the King of Kings. Here's how you know you found the Savior. Here's how you know you found God's anointed one. He's lying in a feeding trough. That's how you'll know. Again and again we see a tendency, we have a tendency to look at the world and to process the world through the eyes of Caesar. Through the eyes of the kingdom, kingdoms of the earth. But this story, this good news, is giving us new eyes to see and new ears to hear. Because when God shows up, He tells the common ordinary shepherds first. Here's how you know you found the King of Kings. He's lying in a feeding trough. That changes everything, doesn't it? It changes how you see yourself. It changes how you see your neighbor. It changes how you see the world. It changes how you define greatness. The expectations you have about how God is working in the world and, and what God is going to do. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom His favor rests. Now, it's not just one angel. 
It's a whole host of angels, a heavenly host, a big company of angels. That usually means like an army, an immense army. And when you think about it, who would you think has the biggest army? Certainly not all Taylor Swift Swifties. And that's a lot of people. It's way bigger than that. And these shepherds are finding out that it's also not Caesar. He's nothing compared to this baby who's lying in a feeding trough. It seems impossible, doesn't it, on the surface. This baby has a host, a multitude of angel armies who praise Him, who serve Him. He is the true King. He is the most powerful one. But His greatness isn't manifest the way that Caesar's supposed greatness is manifest. God doesn't operate like that. God doesn't think like that. God doesn't evaluate things like that. And neither should those who have eyes to see or ears to hear. God is showing up to the common, to the humble, to those who fear Him. And if it wasn't for the announcement, nobody else would really know that something extraordinary had just happened. I mean, the people next to the people upstairs would be totally oblivious to the fact that the Savior of the world was just born a few steps away from them. The people a block over would have no idea that something spectacular had just happened. Even if they walked in, all they would see is a baby lying in a feeding trough. They wouldn't know who this is. But God chose a group of shepherds out in the field and He says, you, you're the ones I'm going to reveal Myself to. I'm going to tell you the truth about this baby and who it is. And I want you to be the ones to proclaim it. Verses 15 and 16. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was indeed lying in a manger. Can you imagine knowing something else that no one else knew? Knowing something about who this was that other people around you didn't know. They weren't privy to the information You were the only ones that had it. They had a secret about this child that only Mary knew. That only Joseph knew. That only Zachariah knew. Only Anna knew. But other people didn't know. Would you think to yourself, who am I that I should be the one that God reveals this to? I'm just a shepherd. I'm not a scholar. I'm not not a rabbi. I'm not a teacher. I'm I'm not royalty. I'm nobody special. You see, that's what the Gospel is saying over and over and over again. This is precisely why they were chosen and why you've been chosen. So that God could choose what the world sees as foolish and weak and nothing and poor. God chose you because everyone thinks of you as nothing. But God doesn't see you that way. He doesn't see you as nothing. He doesn't see you as unimportant. And He is exalting you precisely because of that reason. And so these shepherds, to these shepherds, God has given this spectacular information. When they had seen Him and they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. Do you see what these shepherds become? They become the very first evangelists to say, good news! The real King has been born. Good news! God's anointed one has been born. Good news! The Savior of the world has been born. The one you've been waiting for has been born in Bethlehem. 
They get to be the very first evangelists. But pretty soon they will be joined by others, won't they? They'll be joined by people like fishermen and tax collectors and outcasts and prostitutes. These are all the kinds of people who will join them in telling others the good news. Worship team, you can make your way back up. Because of this event in history, everything has changed. And the world is about to be turned upside down. God's anointed one has come into the world. And notice, it says, all who heard it were amazed. And Mary pondered these things in her heart. You see, ordinary people who had eyes to see and ears to hear, they knew good news when they heard it, didn't they? Oh, there were lots of people who didn't recognize the good news, even if it smacked them upside the head. They didn't know. They couldn't tell good news if it was right in front of them. If they tripped over it, they wouldn't know. Their own wisdom got in the way. But other people, ordinary people, these shepherds knew the good news when they heard it. So the question for tonight is, do you know the good news when you hear it? Do you know good news when you see it? Do you have eyes to see? Do you have ears to hear? Or are you looking with eyes that look through the kingdom of the world? Isaiah 9, 2 says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. In a world that has become increasingly blinded to truth, a light still shines. And it shines brightly tonight on Christmas Eve for you and for me. Look around you. Isn't the Gospel good news? There are so many things to wonder and be amazed and be impressed at as we recognize God's glory everywhere. A boy was walking home and a neighbor noticed his zigzag path which took him from one miracle of God's creation to another. And so he asked the boy, where are you going, boy? Well, I've been to Sunday school, the boy answered. I have learned a lot about God. The neighbor, who was very cynical, said, it's a mighty fine way for you to be spending your day. I'll tell you what, if you tell me where God is, I'll give you a shiny new dime. Quick as a flash, the boy answered, I'll give you a dollar, mister, if you tell me where God ain't. Right? This boy understood the shocking news of Christmas, which says God, through this event, has invaded history, our history, for the rest of eternity. God has come to earth and He plans to stay with us for the duration. He invites you into His kingdom. This is how much God loved the world. He gave His Son, His one and only Son. And this is why. So that no one need be destroyed by believing in Him. Anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go all the way to the trouble of sending His Son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in Him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust Him has long since been under the death sentence without knowing it. And why? Because of that person's failure to believe in the one-of-a-kind Son of God when introduced to Him. Do you have eyes to see? Do you have ears to hear the good news that is right in front of you? That it's announced at the birth of Jesus.